The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. get your blood pumping won't it and it's true that's the wonderful thing that's the wonderful thing I want to get into the word this morning and I want to move very quickly so you're gonna to have to listen really fast okay I know you can do that now I encourage note-taking I always encourage that because writing things down is important and we're gonna say some things together here and that's gonna be a great thing God's speaking to us as a group but he's also personally ministering to each one of us and sometimes when we're able to revisit these notes, we'll find those personal things, those individual things that God's speaking to us, and it can really do great things in our lives. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly this morning. We've had a lot of things in the service this morning. It's been absolutely incredible. I'm going to move a little faster, maybe speak a little faster, and I'd like for you to stay engaged as we cover a lot of ground together this morning. Now, there's a few things that we're going to find, and I always encourage writing these things down. You know, it helps us to, to know what to look forward to as we're moving through the word. One of the things that we're going to find is what, a, what God accomplished through the cross. What God accomplished through the cross. <clears throat> I think it's important for us to know this and understand it, to not simply believe that he accomplished something, but to know what it is that he accomplished. What God accomplished through the cross. The second thing we're going to find is how to bless the Lord. How to bless the Lord. A third thing that we're going to find here is what God did for us. What God did for us. We're going to see that very specifically in the scripture, and there's something that I want us to catch there this morning, and I believe that, that it's the point of why we're here this morning. So let's just jump right into the word, what God accomplished through the cross. Now, you heard this read this morning in its entirety. You heard the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is such a powerful chapter of scripture prophetically, as, as uh, Dr. Ganesh read this morning for us and mentioned that it was such a powerful thing that the prophet would reveal the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ with such great detail and such wonderful uh, uh, poetic beauty. It's a, it's a beautiful chapter to read, especially if you understand the gospel. But it's so accurate and so profoundly powerful that it's very difficult for this to be read in Israel by the Jews without understanding that, that Jesus, the Messiah, has fulfilled these things. In fact, it, it's considered forbidden to read this without a rabbi present or else you might get confused and believe that Jesus really did fulfill these things and is the Messiah. Isn't that, isn't that really incredibly powerful? I mean, God's revealing these things clearly to us. So I want to read from that chapter, Isaiah chapter 53. I want to begin in verse 4 and read through 6. Now, what we're finding out here is what God accomplished through the cross. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves, we esteemed him as stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. And all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to their own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. This is what took place at the cross. Now, I want us to learn a word this morning. You'll see it in the scripture, and we're going to understand what the word means. Uh, the word is propitiation. Are you familiar with this word? Some of us have heard it. For some of us, it's, it's a strange new word. But you'll find it in the New Testament in a few places. In fact, let me give you those places. The book of Romans, chapter 3. 
These are verses 23 through 25 if you'd like to write that down. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now that sounds a lot like Isaiah. All of us have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ, who God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith, this was to redeem or demonstrate redemption in His righteousness because in the forbearance or God's uh, patience, God has passed over the sins that we had previously committed. That word propitiation is present there. It's also present in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren. This is speaking of Jesus. He was made like us in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all of the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's me and you. We're the people. Again, that word propitiation. Now, 1 John chapter 4 Verses 8 through 10, for God is love. And by this, the love of God is manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, this is this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There that word is again, propitiation. And now, again, here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, John's writing, and he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Propitiation is what God accomplished at the cross. Now, that's a wonderful thing for us to know, but if we don't know what that word means, we're going to have problems. We could easily miss the point if we don't stop and find out what does that mean. What does it mean that Jesus is the propitiation? Jesus uh, uh, fulfilled this. God accomplished it on the cross on our behalf. Propitiation. So I want us to turn to the dictionary. I've told you before, if I had a very limited library, I would want my Bible, I would want a concordance, and I would want a dictionary. Because it's very difficult to understand the word if you don't understand the words that make up the word. So we turn to the dictionary and we look up propitiation. And by definition, a short definition, propitiation means an atoning sacrifice. Well, suddenly I'm closer to understanding it, but I need to know what the word atoning means. And I need to know what the word sacrifice means. Or else I really don't have an understanding of propitiation. So we go to look up the word atonement. To repair an offense or an injury. Well, now I'm starting to understand something. That what, what God accomplished on the cross through Jesus, through propitiation, was repairing an injury. An injury that I had committed by my rejection of God's plan for my life and His will for my life, His commandments and His instruction. And the word sacrifice, if we're to look up the word sacrifice and just catch the definition of the word sacrifice, it reads like this. The surrender of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher or more pressing claim. Don't think that God sent Jesus because he had no value. That's why it's revealing to us the love that God has for us. 
that he would send Jesus, the most valuable uh, uh, thing in, in the world. He would send him in our place. That's revealing to us that Jesus in his role as the only begotten Son of God has so much worth in the eyes of God, but yet God would send him as propitiation for you. That's meant to reveal something to us. It's meant to reveal the love and the affection that God has for us, me and you. And God accomplished these things on our behalf. The propitiation that he accomplished has done some great things. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, there there were uh, wonderful things that took place, even in this horrible, horrific scene. I want to give you a few passages of scripture for you to, to read and examine. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. It reads like this, but the Lord was pleased. God was pleased. It was His plan. It was His good will. Some translations say it was His good pleasure. It was the will of God to crush Jesus, to put Him to grief. If He would render Himself as a guilt offering, He would see the results. He would see His offspring. He would prolong His days. That means He would see the multiplication. That's me and you being born again into the kingdom of God. He would prolong his days. That means he would pull him from the grave to live forevermore. And it was the good pleasure of the Lord that he would prosper. Now there's something in that passage that I want us to see because there's a few things happening on the cross. When Jesus is being nailed to the cross, there's a lot of things that are going on. The Bible is revealing to us that there are things that are being put to death. Now, I don't know what kind of Bible you're using. Some of you may be using an app on your phone. But I want you to look closely at something. If you have a Bible that has alternate translations or literal translations or has some form of a study Bible, I want you to pay close attention to the beginning of that passage. But the Lord was pleased. It was the will of God to crush him. And then putting him to grief is what I want to see. I want to look at. Anyone have anything that says anything different than putting him to grief? Anybody have a Bible with a literal translation? What do you got? Yeah, it's what God had in mind all along. It's the ultimate plan. Anybody's Bible have a literal translation of putting him to grief? Made him sick. That's what it is. That's what it is. I mean, translators have a hard time with this. But that's what it literally means. It says it was God's good pleasure in putting Jesus on the cross to make him sick. I've got news for you. Sickness was nailed to the cross. I want to give you another passage of scripture of what God accomplished on the cross. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. It reads like this. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse himself. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Jesus Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to us. So that we would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. Another thing that was nailed to that cross. Another thing that was accomplished at the cross. Sickness was nailed to the cross. The curse was nailed to the cross. And then I want to give you another passage of scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I want you to see these three passages and see three things being put to death on the cross. 
Sickness being put to death on the cross. The curse being put to death on the cross. And all of sin being put to death on the cross. Jesus took these things on Himself. Just like it says in Isaiah chapter 53. He took all of that upon Himself. He took our grief. He took our suffering. He took our iniquity on Himself. And He took it to the grave. I've got news for you. When He came out, He left it all in there. I want to talk about what God accomplished through the resurrection. I want to give you a passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. It reads like this, Jesus is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. Now that passage of Scripture right there, it seems really short and sweet, but we could ponder this one passage of Scripture and have a lot of wisdom imparted into our lives. Jesus is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Here's what that means. God has had many prophets. There have been many godly leaders on the earth, but there's only been one that came out of the tomb. It's a confirmation. It is the sign. It is the wonder that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and it is absolutely the most documented event on earth. And he did this with power by the resurrection from the dead. But I love this last part, according to the spirit of holiness. According to the spirit of holiness. Let your mind think about those words for a moment. Jesus has declared the Messiah all because he was raised up from the dead according to or by the Holy Spirit, the power of holiness. I want us to ponder the power of holiness for a second. Because I want us to understand why Jesus rose from the dead. I kind of like to know why things work. Some people just want it to work, and as long as it works, they're okay with that. But I like to know why. I want you to know why. As a kid, I took apart more things than I could put back together, and it was all out of that curiosity just to know, why does it work? I mean, I want you just to think for a second, just to have the the time to exercise your mind, to check out of being in a state of listening and and, and step into a state of, of pondering and consideration. Why did Jesus come out of the grave? I mean, mechanically, why did that happen? How does that happen? It can bend your brain if you're not careful, but the truth is it's really simple in the words in the Scripture. Now, sometimes it's easier for us to just say, well, God did it. But if we just say, well, God did it, then we're going to miss out on on everything that God's done and is doing in us. I want to offer this to you just to keep things simple so that we can come to a place that if we're faced with that question, how did this happen? We can answer it. Jesus came out of the grave because death had no claim on him. Because he had no sin. Here's a passage of scripture for you, Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. All death is the result of sin, period. The wages of sin is death. Before there's any sin in the world, there's no death. Jesus comes out of the grave because death has no claim on him. In fact, let me give you a passage of scripture that ought to really light your fire. Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, Jesus is speaking and he's speaking to John. 
Now, this isn't a vision. This isn't something that, that someone dreamed. This is a conversation between two living people. Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. Well, that's pretty interesting. I want to be so godly that when I walk in a room, I have to say that. I'm serious. I think that would be a really good thing, you know. You walk in a room and everyone's like, oh. No, 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 it's okay. Don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead. I mean, think about that. He says, I was dead. Make no mistake. I was dead. But behold, I'm alive. And not just alive, but I'm alive forever. And then this is the line that ought to really inspire us. And I have the keys now to death in Hades. That which used to lock away in prison and bind forever, now I have those keys. The reason why Jesus comes out of the grave is because Jesus has no sin. And it's because of that that we can celebrate passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read verses 54 through 57. It starts like this, quoting from the Old Testament, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to just think for a second. I mean, I'm not asking us to connect a whole lot of dots, but let's connect a few. If Jesus lives sin-free, and upon dying, death has no hold on his life. Death cannot keep him bound. I don't want you to think for a moment that death and Jesus Christ had some cosmic wrestling match, and Jesus won. There was no fight at all. He had no legal claim on the soul of Jesus Christ, period, because he was sin-free. So now then, let us consider this. What's God done for us? I mentioned the third thing we'd find is what God's done for us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, they read like this. For he in the he there is God the Father. You'll see that in a moment as you continue. For God the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, meaning moved us, into the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Every man, woman, and child in this room, every man, woman, and child across the globe that is found in Jesus has redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So let me ask you something. Thanks to this work that Jesus has done on your behalf, are your sins forgiven? Oh, they are. If your sins are forgiven, does death have any grip on you? Absolutely not. And when you come into this awareness and this understanding, it makes sense that as Jesus is confirming the Word of God with signs and with wonders, as He's assaulted and confronted with test and trial, that He would stop and He would say something like, Hey, which one of these is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? 
And we have a hard time seeing ourselves as being forgiven of our sins. So everyone in the room says, well, it'd be harder to say, rise and walk. And so Jesus tells a man who can't walk to get up and walk. But once again, I'd like to ask myself, what made that happen? Is it because Jesus is some kind of righteous magician? No. It's the power of holiness. It's the lifestyle that we live free from the grip of sin and corruption. If my sins are forgiven, then my life is holy. And I step into the calling that the Word of God places upon my life, the saints. The saints. If you look in your scripture and you see the word refer to the saints, you'll look to the side if you have a study Bible or a reference Bible, and you'll see a literal translation for the word saints. The holy ones. God's made us holy. He's not just said, hey, because of this work at the cross, you know, I'm going to put up with you and turn a blind eye to all of your nastiness. What he has said is the work at the cross now will wash away all of your stain, every sin that you've ever committed, every sin that you're committing even now in this moment, and every one that you will ever commit. That is the power of that propitiation, that atoning sacrifice that I made for you. I sent the most valuable possession I have, my only begotten son, to reveal to you the worth and the value that I place upon your life. That's the power of resurrection. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to see God do something great in our lives. In each one of us. Something in our minds and in our hearts. An understanding of the work that was accomplished at the cross. The work that was accomplished in the resurrection. I'd like for God to, to show us clearly. To impart to us. To teach us. The holiness that he's brought into our lives. That our mentality wouldn't be that one day we'll step into holiness. But that our understanding and our awareness would be that God has gone through every work of the cross, the resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to bring holiness to us here and now. And with that understanding, I'd like for there to be an empowerment in each one of us. To know that if holiness is, has the power to walk out of the grave, if holiness has the power to call the lame to walk, if holiness has the power to cleanse the corrupt, if holiness carries all of the authority to see all of the result of sin lose all of its claim and all of its authority and all of its power over our lives, I'd like for us to understand that God has filled us overflowing with holiness. We're meant to be a force of righteousness on the earth. Wherever we encounter any corruption, the results of sin, the power of forgiveness and repentance has equipped us to bring about victory in every single situation because of holiness. And the Word reveals to us that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit, dwells in us. Holiness. 
I want to ask God to do this for us this morning. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in agreement. You're welcome to just receive this prayer. But there where you stand, I want to seek God to do something great in us. Father, we thank you again for the day that we celebrate. We thank you, Father, that our King came walking out of the tomb. Let it testify to each one of us of his purity, his perfect righteousness. And let that inspire us to desire to follow after his counsel. Knowing that there's no selfishness, no guile in him, no agenda in him, but to do your will. Let us be willing to yield our lives to him. To follow after every word he would speak. To truly know Jesus as our King, our Lord and Savior. And in that I ask for this, that this morning everyone present in this room, will you do a work in our minds and in our hearts, revealing to us holiness as our identity, as the work that you've accomplished. That every effort of the cross and the resurrection has been to bring us to this moment, to awaken to the holiness that you have imparted to us. Let it have its way and its work in our minds and in our hearts. That there would be no room for inferior thinking or corrupted thinking to prevail. No room for corrupted actions to prevail in our lives. But let holiness exist and be cherished in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think, in all that we are. Let there be a move in us, an awareness. And let it bring us to a place that we see our worth and our value. That you have made propitiation for us through Jesus. That you have brought this atoning sacrifice on our behalf. Into existence for this moment. Help us to see the redemption and fellowship with you very clearly. The repair that you've made through Jesus. By removing all sin, all iniquity and all transgression from our lives. And let us understand sacrifice. That we would know the value and the worth that you set upon your son. And as we see him exchanged as a ransom for us, let that reveal to us the value and the worth that you set upon us. And let our lives forever be given to praise his name. For the more he's worthy, the more we're worth. And we bless your name. We give you thanks. And we rejoice that you've done this magnificent thing in us. Let holiness be revealed through all that we are and all that we do. That those who are suffering affliction, that those who are bound by corruption, would come into contact with holiness as they come into contact with the saints. And let holiness have its righteous work. That deliverance, freedom, healing, liberation, and celebration in every form would be the result of our labors as we function and operate as the body of Christ and be honored and glorified as these things are accomplished in us by your spirit. We say thank you in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.